Hello and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guest today is Dr. Natalie Ellington. Dr. Ellington is the founder and executive director of Eileen and Callie's Place in Kent, Washington. Well, good morning, Natalie. How are you this morning? I am well, Lynn. How are you? Good. I am doing well, too. I appreciate that you are joining us for our podcast series, and I'm really excited to hear about your organization. I know it's pretty early out there in Washington State. Yes, it is. But you know what they say, the early bird gets up early. (laughs) Well, I guess thus it's in the name there, is it not? Yes, it is. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much. Well, I usually ask our guests to explain a little bit about their own background, so I will do the same with you. If you could please share about yourself and how is it, Natalie, that you got involved with the foster care system? Well, Lynn, it's probably so different from everyone else because I had no background in social services or human services or with the foster care system, but it was a matter of me being exposed to this is what happens to girls that have aged out of foster care. And at the time that I gathered that information, I was part of the King County Women's Advisory Board. And basically, that board looks out across the county at issues that affect women and to some degree children and make recommendations to the city council. And so I was on the board. I got the information. I was involved in a gazillion other things throughout the county. Fast forward a good six or seven years where everything changed in my life. And I was really looking for what is it that I'm really supposed to be doing? And I was reminded of that study that had been done about girls aging out of foster care. So as you can imagine, I had quite a learning curve before me, before I could really do anything about the information that I had received. And so what I concluded was that the support was needed when they aged out and was caught in that transition to adulthood Because we all remember what it was like to be 18, whether it was good or bad, that is a defining moment in our growth. To see these young ladies hit that stage and need some support and not really knowing where and how it was is what got me involved in the system and starting Eileen and Callie's Place. So what was your work prior to that? I know you said you were serving on this board, but what is your professional background. I know you have a doctorate, so I'm a little curious about that. And it varies. I started out my very first job. Matter of fact, I started while I was in high school, was in music publishing. And I was with a major record company for a good 12 years and grew up and learned business administration and things of that nature. And then I got involved in education. I worked as a dean of a college. I worked as a principal of a K-12 Christian school. And so that's what I'm saying. So this was a brand new field for me, but it was one where for all the things that I've done and all the places I've been and all the people I've met, nothing compares to what it's like working with these young ladies and learning about their lives and their dreams and what they want to do and what they've been told they can't do. So it was really very, very different. Like I said, it it wasn't your, I would think your regular road to now I'm, you know, in my golden years (laughs) and working with girls aging out of foster care. In the interviews I've had formally, there have only been a couple of people who changed their life's trajectory based on just finding out about the challenges that these young people go through. So it is a rare thing. I do agree. Yeah. And it's an area where I found out that unless you are involved in the system or you've been a part of the system, you're just not aware. You have absolutely no idea that this is what goes on and this is what happens. And what prompted the initial research was the board asked, what happens? Where are these girls? Or actually, it was the youth one year after they've aged out of the foster care system. And that's where the study and the research began. And that opened my eyes. And so in part of my personal research, I started volunteering with an organization that that's what they do. They support youth of all ages in the system. 
And I remember when I went down to sign up to volunteer and the coordinator, I told the coordinator what it is I was interested in doing. And I said to her, the only thing I know about foster care is what I've seen on Law and Order. And she said, oh, you have so much to learn. And I says, well, I'm teachable. And that was a good seven, eight years ago. And I'm still learning. Oh, of course. And there are always new studies coming out, looking at different elements and aspects of the challenges that these young people face and what's working and what's not working in different programs. So it's a continual learning process for everybody. It is continual. And my point when I meet these young ladies is recognizing that each one of them is an individual. The only thing that they have in common is that they've been part of this foster care system. And so we work very diligently on not having things that are in stone or this the way we do it or this the way we approach it. And every young lady we approach, we approach her as an individual. What is it that you want us to know? What is it that you'd like to do? Where is it that you would like to see yourself doing? And how can we support you? Our basic premise is our goal is to listen. And so we listen. Absolutely. I mean, in essence, it's what parents would be doing, right? Helping their young people find themselves and figure out what they want out of life. It's just, you just happen to have groups of these young people together. It doesn't mean you should treat them all the same. You know, I tell the story that I am one of eight, four boys and four girls in my family, same mom, same dad, same house rules. When I turned 18, I could not wait to move out. That was my personality. I wanted to get out there. I didn't care if I was going to bump my head or run into a tree. I just wanted (laughs) out. My youngest sister, they had to practically throw her out. Wasn't right. right, Wasn't wrong. That was her personality, even though we had the same background. And so when you look at these young ladies and everyone is coming into the system for different reasons and different backgrounds, and they're experiencing different things depending upon what homes they're in or what group homes they're in or what part of the city they're in. And so to attempt to say, well, here's what will work for all of the girls, you know, it's like, no, let's look at it a little differently. And I know the system as a whole can't do that because there's many of them. But as we work to step in, to say, we want to support these young ladies, then we have the advantage of being able to say, we can look at them one by one. Exactly. I think of the research that shows that having a supportive adult in your life when you're a young person like that, that helps you, you know, answers questions, supports you emotionally, that helps you through the transition to adulthood, that that is a key element and factor for success in that transition. But what that looks like can be very different for each individual young person. I believe that having that adult is key, but maybe for young one young person, it's an extended family member. For another young person, it might be a coach at their school. For another young person, it might be just a mentor from the program that they really click with. You really still need to customize, even if you have kind of a general approach like that. Exactly. Because when we train the mentors that are working with us, we tell them that their primary responsibility is to get to know this young lady. I don't care if it takes a month, six months, a year, two years, until you really get to know her and you have built a trusting relationship with her, you're not going to really be able to accomplish much in her life. Because I believe, and I know from my standpoint, we knew the answers we're supposed to give to certain questions. It's just in us. This is what is acceptable. This is what adults want to hear. And so you do that until you realize that the person that you're talking to really is concerned, really wants to know what you think, what you feel, and are there to not judge, but to help point you in the right direction. I tell the mentors, you're like training wheels. And we know that when you're training a child to ride a bike, if you let go before they say, I got it, and they fall, not only are they not getting back on the bike, but now they don't trust you because you let them go. But if you run alongside them and hold on until they say, okay, I can, I can do this. I can do this. I got it. Even if they fall, they'll get back on because they made that decision. And so we want to be like training wheels with these girls in that transition. We're not here to judge you. We're not here to tell you what to do or how to do it. We're here to answer your questions and let you fall when you want to fall, but be there to help you get back up and get back on a path again without the judgment. 
I love that comparison. (laughs) That's terrific. Well, you know what? I think we've segued into talking about Eileen and Callie's place. So why don't I go ahead and let you explain? You know, you started this, it sounds like in the last few years. When did you get started? What do you do with the young ladies? It sounds like you work with. I'd love to hear about your program. You know, like I said, I had quite a learning curve. So it was 2011, I believe it was, when I first started the research and started volunteering and and met with every organization that I could think of that was working with this population because I wanted to know. I wanted to know what is it. You know, Law and Order is a 60-minute show and it, it tends to have its own purpose. And so I didn't want to take that into this is what it is I want to do. And so as I continued to meet and just sit in meetings and hear the different programs that were going on, the different challenges, the success stories, I felt what they needed was someone that was going to, like I said, build a relationship with them. Because there's a lot of resources available to them. There's resources all throughout the city, all through the county. But two things. One, if you don't know the resources are there, it doesn't help you much. And then if you don't know, you know they're there, but you don't know how to access them. Or sometimes you have a question that doesn't fit into any one category of resources. It's not how to balance my checkbook. It's not how do I fill out a resume. It's one of those, I don't really know how to load a dishwasher. Where do you go to get that information? You know, and those are the types of things that I've heard girls say. Well, I didn't even know how to load a dishwasher. I didn't. You have to know that because you need to know what to argue with your husband about later in life, right? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It's like that is not the way the utensils they go face down. Not exactly. (laughs) Sorry, I had to throw that out there. (laughs) But you know, it's the truth because you've seen down the road. And so they're keeping it light and letting them know, yeah, there are things that you can't find out there. But because we've spent the time to get to know you as an individual, we can say, you know, we have contacts with five different organizations that do that. But now that I know you and your personality, we're going to go over here and talk to this organization because I think that's going to work with you better. You know, it's very similar to when, you know, you're growing up and your parents or your mom tells you something over and over again. And then your aunt comes in or your best friend's mom comes in and tells you the same thing. And you're like, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. And Mm -hmm. your mom looks at you like, I've been telling you that for two years. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But you don't hear it. You don't have ears to hear what's coming from that. So our foundation is the relationship, building the relationship. And what we found was how do we even find the girls? How do we even know where they are? Because a lot of them, when they turn 18, they disappear. That was one of the things that the first study that I was aware of showed that within that year, the number that were homeless, the number that were incarcerated, the number that hadn't finished high school, the number that had had kids, they had no idea how many had been trafficked because those numbers just aren't available. So like you said, we know that it only takes one caring adult to make a young person a success story. So if we could be in there in whatever capacity to help them along that path, then we've accomplished our goals. So the big picture, you know, we start with, can we mentor? Can we walk alongside you? Can we build a relationship? And then we really want to open a home. That is not a huge group home with a ton of girls, but it's just a home with four or five girls where we can then work with them wherever they are on the loading the dishwasher, on making a grocery list, on cleaning your room, on taking care of what is yours. Because the goal is that you are ready to live on your own whether it's living on your own. Yes, I have a roommate, but I know how to take care of myself. I know how to access the resources that are here in the community. I know how to ask for help. I know how and when to maneuver around the city and really accomplish the things that I want to accomplish is what we will do within the home setting. And they'll still have their individual mentors, but they'll start with, how do you take care of your room? How do you make the bed? How do you clean the room? And because each of them are individual, they will come to us with all different levels of 
being ready for independence. And so we're setting up so that from 18 to 24, they're able to stay with us, but there'll be some who they may need a year. I just need to get on my feet. I just need to secure this job. I know these other skills because you have some that are quite independent. And then there'll be others that on their 25th birthday, when we sing happy birthday, we're helping them move into their own apartment, but we've worked with them since they've been with us so that they're comfortable. And then the home will always be a place that you can go. It's like when you're away at college and you call mom, I'm coming home for Thanksgiving. Mom, I'm not coming home for Thanksgiving. Mom, I'm coming home and I'm bringing three friends with me. Mom, I've got good news. I've got bad news. So to be that gap, to be that cushion, to be that catch-all for these young ladies, I believe will make a difference in how they transition and then what they're able to do as a functioning and comfortable and confident adult. I would agree. It sounds like a fantastic program that you have there. It sounds like you're focusing primarily on that mentoring and life skills. But I'm also wondering where do you provide support in regard to, or how do you provide support in regard to finding a job, finishing education, finding that next apartment after they leave your place? Do you have any formalized strategies to help them achieve those things? Well, what we do and what we did from the very beginning was we went out and looked at and started developing relationships with the resources that are available because we're not looking to reinvent the wheel. So when we have a young lady who really needs to finish her high school, she needs to get a GED or whatever it is, then we're able to connect her with an organization that provides that resource. But what we do, and I mean, what our goal is, rather than sending them, again, depending upon where they are individually with their ability to have that conversation, our goal is to go with them like we would have done with our own daughters. When my daughter was at that transition stage, I remember so very clearly one day she was going to talk to a recruiter. I don't remember if it was for school or a job or what it was, but we walked in and my position was, this is your interview. I'm here if you need me, but you get to ask the questions. You get to process the information. And then as we went through, if there was something that I knew needed to be asked, I would say to her, ask him X, Y, Z, or have them explain X, Y, Z, so that she was still holding the conversation, but I was there as a support. So that's our goal with these young ladies. Now, there's somewhere they're not going to need it. Like, just give me the name of the address and I've got this. But for those who need us to be there, then we're looking to be there with them. And I do want to make it clear, we don't have the home yet. That's our goal and our belief and our prayer that will happen this year. So we have been concentrating on the mentoring program, but this is August. We're believing and we're looking and we're fundraising so that ideally by the end of the year, we'll be able to open the first Eileen and Callie's place. And see, and it was called place because when I started, my vision was, well, we just have to get this home for them because they can't be homeless. But I was smart enough or wise enough to have wise advisors who said, you know what, it's going to be really hard to raise the kind of money you're going to need to open a home that's only going to benefit four or five girls. Concentrate on the mentoring, build up the mentoring, build up your relationships, build up your contacts, let what you're doing be known, and it'll be time for the house down the road. Well, I feel I'm down the road. I feel <laughs> down the road and we're ready to say, okay, we're ready to open up this first home and have these young ladies, a place where when they age out, it's a direct step as opposed to spending time. You know, I met a girl just the other day who said, you know, on her 18th birthday, she moved from a group home into a shelter. Well, we want to eliminate that. I can't imagine that being a good stop. Praise God that they're there. And I know they're useful and they're needed, but if we can prevent or help one young lady not have to do that, then that right. would be our goal. Absolutely. That would be wonderful. Well, why young ladies? I'm curious why that was the starting point. And do you have any vision of expanding to work with young men as well? Okay. I'll answer the back half of that first. No, I do not have a vision to expand for young men. But what I have done is met 
organizations that cater to young men. I was especially drawn to young women because even though I know guys have challenges too, it's the young ladies that are going to get pregnant. It's the young ladies that are now going to become single moms. It's the young ladies who now with that child has a greater propensity to have that child become part of the system. And once you have that child, anything you thought was going to happen with your life changes because that child now has to become a priority. But if you don't really know how to take care of yourself, how are you going to take care of someone who is totally dependent upon you to take care of them? And so that was my heart. It was like, okay, no, these young ladies, number one, to help them build the self-worth and recognize their potential and recognize that they're important and there are things that they can do. Because by the time we get to a lot of them, their dreams have just been squashed. They're like, okay, this is what it is. This is what life is about. And to have a young man who in some instances knows just how to fill that gap and then she's pregnant and now what does she do? Because what she thought was love wasn't really love. It was a means to an end. One of the things we did when we were training a group of mentors, we had a detective from a local police station come in and talk to the prospective mentors about grooming. And I said to the ladies, I said, you know what? You all have different levels of street knowledge. So when your mentee comes to you and tells you that she's got a new boyfriend and he buys her things and he really likes her and he has other girlfriends, but he likes her the most, you need to know what she's talking about. And the police detective told her, says, you know what? Some of these girls, guys will start grooming them from the age of 12 because they know what it is is lacking in their life and what they need to do to say that, to get them to do what they want them to do. I said, so we need to know what do we do when that young lady tells us that. Still in a mentoring mode, still not in a mother mode, still not in a judgment mode, but being able to say to her, well, let me tell you what's really going on. And to have developed a relationship where, number one, she even tells you that. And then number two, that she trusts you when you say, we're going to do something different. We're going to look at a different way to handle this and be able to walk her through and away from even the idea of having to be trafficked or use sex in society, because there's just so much going on. We had to look at where do we start? And what's really funny was, or is, that it came to us to have a party. It's like, who can resist a party? And so we put together what we call Celebrate 18. And it was for the girls that were turning 18 and aging out of the foster care system. We set it up so that initially it was countywide, then it was statewide. And we told them, this party is for you. And it's not cake and ice cream. They came in and there were racks and racks and racks of brand new clothes. There were shoes. There were professional hairdressers and makeup artists. There were gifts from different organizations all through the room. And when they came in, the first thing that they did as they registered was they picked out a 22-inch brand new rolling duffel bag. And we wanted them because we recognized that so many of them were moving from place to place with their belongings in black trash bags. It was like, no, we want to give you what it is you need. So, And then they rolled that duffel bag around. We had transformed this 4,000 square foot gym into the boutique and the salon. And then we had service providers there that could give them information. And that went on the first year. It went on for two years, for two hours. And then we extended that time because I'm not a shopper. So I had said from four to six, you're in the gym, you could shop. And then at six o'clock, we were going to dinner. Well, at six o'clock, it was like, well, I'm still getting my hair done. Well, I need to get my nails done. Well, I'm still shopping. So I said, okay, we'll correct that real easily. But then during dinner time, we had foster alum that I told these ladies, I said, I want you to share a message with your 18-year-old self. What do you wish someone had told you when you were turning 18? Or what do you feel these young ladies need to hear now that they're turning 18? But the other thing that we did too, during their registration, they were asked, are you interested in meeting a mentor? And the options were yes, maybe, and not now. Because that was the 
secondary, but still a very primary goal of the party. Because we knew the party was one day. The music was going to end. The good stuff is like, okay, I've got all these good things, but now what do I want to do? And then we'd be able to connect them with a mentor. The first year that we did it, we had one young lady after the breakfast. She had signed up for either a not now or maybe, but it definitely wasn't a yes. And after the dinner, she came up to me and said, Dr. E, would you be my mentor? I'm like, of course, of course. Well, we just had Celebrate 18 two weeks ago. And this year we had four girls ask for mentors. And I'm like, okay, we're getting there. And so we've been able to get them connected with mentors. The mentors now will, they've committed to check in with these girls at least three times a month, but they've signed up for the long haul. I will be with you until... And I told myself, now what you have to be aware of is that there are sometimes things happen because of what's going on the spur of the moment. So if they don't respond the first time you call or the first time you text or the first time you email, give it a couple of days and do it again and then do it again and then do it again. Do it again until that girl responds and says, leave me alone, <laughs> which, which we hope won't happen. But you've got to know that you're true to your word. The consistency is so very important. Mm-hmm. Well, how many young ladies do you mentor right now? How many mentors do you have? And I'm just trying to get a sense of how large your organization is. It's not large, Lynn. And we're not looking at this point for quantity more so than quality. I told the mentors, this is a work in progress. After we trained the first set of mentors, and like I said, I couldn't find the girls But if somebody was going to have to wait, I would rather it be the adults and the girls. And so those mentors kind of filtered away. They all had other jobs and other things that they were going on. So we just trained another set of mentors in preparation for Celebrate 18. And so we've got probably six or seven on board and six girls that have just been matched. And then I have six girls that I've been working with anywhere from six years to I think my youngest girl, I've been with her for a year. She just graduated from high school. And so we're interested in looking for mentors that are willing to make that commitment. And so it's the training, it's the application process, it's the background check process. And then as girls are referred to us, whether it's through the department or whether it's through one of the high schools, then we work with those girls. So we're not looking to have a ton of girls right off the bat but just to continue to fine tune the program, get the house, which will be, you know, it may be another set because the girls that I have right now, they're pretty stable in their housing, but we never know what's going to happen. So we're taking it piece by piece. We're not trying to go fast. We're really, we're trying to go far. And, you know, that takes a little bit more time. Yeah. You've mentioned training of your mentors. And I know there might be some folks listening who would be curious. What are your requirements for mentors? Are you looking for particular experience and so forth? And what does your training look like? Okay. In the mentors, the primary thing that we're looking for is a heart for these girls, the determination to be consistent, to be truthful and honest. In some instances, to be transparent, to recognize, and we tell them that you have to know that you know that you know that you're called to work with this population because the day that she doesn't show up at a scheduled meeting or the day that she doesn't return your call or the day that she calls you something other than what your mother named you, you need to be able to say, this is what I signed up for and I'm not letting her go. The training consists, we start with an orientation where, again, we look very heavily on lived experience. We want people that have been through the system to share with these mentors what they're getting into. I remember the first one that we had, she had been in 40 different homes and she said, and I was never once abused or mistreated. Matter of fact, I felt loved. But I was, a, and I forgot what word she used to describe herself, but she was put it lightly, very mischievous. And so she would do things just to see whether or not the people around her were going to stick with her. She said, it's not strawberries and unicorns. You need to be brave. 
to step out and say, I'm going to work with these young ladies. So basically consistency, honesty, transparency, and then they commit for a term, whether it's short term, whether they come and saying, I know I can only do this for a year. Okay, then we know that when we make that match, we let this young lady know she's only here for a year. It may be Mitchell says, I can do two years. Or we may have one who says, I'm in for the long term. I'm here until the mentee that I have achieves stability. And so again, we tell them that that you to develop a trusting relationship with the mentee. We want to create a safe learning environment because once they trust you, then they'll trust what you're telling them is on the up and up. I remember the first time I met with a group and one of the young ladies who ended up being not only a mentee, but an advisor and part of my advisory council said, well, I just thought you were another goody two shoes, just you know, trying to get into heaven. I said, okay, well, everyone, I'm not a goody two shoes. My mother will attest to that. And I'm here for the long haul. And this particular young lady had said to me, after we got to know each other, she said when she was growing up, she said, you know what, I really just wanted to be a wife and a mom. But every time I said that, you know, people would laugh. So I stopped saying it. I wouldn't tell anybody that anymore. And so one of my greatest joys with her was just last year, she said, would you officiate my wedding? We had developed beyond a trusting relationship. And then, like I said before, I'm not a shopper. But when she asked me if I would go with her to get her wedding dress, of course, I will go with you. And so that's what we're looking at. There'll be good days and bad days. You know, I've had a girl call and just in tears. And I'm like, okay. What's going on? And she, when it was all said and done, she says, I just needed to get it out. I just needed to talk to somebody. And to just be there in those moments, Lynn, to me, you know, those are things that you can't put on a data sheet. You can't put that on a chart to say, how many times did a girl call you and just cry or bawl her eyes out? I don't see, I don't see a box for that. And so to have a person who recognizes that they're stepping into a world in most times, very foreign to them. We take so much for granted, the things that we know to do. And when you stop and think about a young person who's never really been given a choice, they've been told, this is what you do, this is when you do it, here's where you go. Take them into a grocery store and take them on a cereal aisle and say, pick out a cereal. And you know, when you stop and think about that, how many different types of cereal are on one aisle and have them stand there totally overwhelmed and you're saying just pick a cereal you know you walk through there you don't even look anymore you know exactly where it is you push the basket through you grab it off the shelf and you keep going but something as simple as that something as simple as the young lady that was at the party just recently said she had been in 72 different placements they picked her up on her 18th birthday from a group home took her to a shelter And when she got there, she says, okay, I've got to do something different. So she was able to contact the Y because the YMCA here in our area, they have a host home program. And so she found a host home and her host mother came to the party with her. And she said to me, as she introduced me to her host mom, she says, I didn't know how to load a dishwasher. This lady has taught me everything. Now, this is an 18, 19 year old young lady. And those things that you're learning, you know, we learn growing up piece by piece. I tell the story of, I don't know when I learned to do laundry, but I know when I put too much bleach in the water and ruined my sister's clothes. It wasn't a one-time sit down, here is how you do laundry. It was a period of time. Here's how you separate the clothes. And that was back when, you know, you had hot water for this batch and cold water for this batch. And it was entirely- Oh, yeah, I remember. Exactly. (laughs) And so those things now, we don't really think about it. We teach our kids the same way over time. Okay, it's time for you to start learning how to do this. It's time for you to learn. And our goal in raising our kids is that when they turn 18, whether or not they leave the house, they're ready to fly. It's ego time. You're out the nets. But in between that, because I thought when I was 18, my parents just didn't want me to have fun. That's why I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. And I had to be home. But when I got to be about 24, 25 years old, it started making sense. Oh, that's what she was talking about. 
But in between that, I could always go home, whether it was to borrow money or to help with rent or to get food or just sit there and watch TV, whatever. I had that place I could go. And my position is these young ladies don't always have that. And so that's part of our goal in helping to do that. And at the same time, helping them focus on total development. You know, so it's not just get a job. It's okay. What is it that you want to do? Again, our kids growing up, we expose them to several different things so that when it's time to make that choice, they're making it from a point of information. Well, I tried this, didn't really like this, kind of interested in that, don't know what that is like. And then they still have to shuffle through all of that information. But when you've never had a choice and you're starting from scratch, it takes a little more patience. During the first party, the young lady that was working registration We had a book with the pictures of the different bags in it. And then all the duffel bags were behind the registration tables. She said, and she watched this girl flip through the book and flip back and flip again. And initially her thought was just pick one until she realized she hasn't been making choices. So now you're telling her to make a choice. So after that party, you know, we always do a recap. What do we need to change? What do we need to And so the head of that area said, we should hang the bags up so that they could see them. Because, yeah, the pictures are good, but now they can see them. So this year, we had them hanging on the wall. And so they had that visual right then and there. And it cut down on that process, but they still were able to make a choice. And that, to me, is huge. Well, you know, you make me think of a question about matching the young ladies with their mentors. Do they have a choice in who their mentor is? Do they have a some input in who they're matched with? And how does that work? Well, what we do, and we're still perfecting this whole system, the mentor fills out a profile sheet that talks about her hobbies, her likes, her dislikes, how she would describe herself as a person, the kind of people that she's most comfortable with. And then the mentees do the same thing. So right now, the matching process is a little, I don't want to say archaic, but it's very manual. I do have a meeting. Matter of fact, I've got a meeting this afternoon with Mentor Washington to ask them, how do you guys do the matches? Because we aren't going to always be able to do it manually. We can do it with four or five girls. But as we grow, we need to be able to, whether we feed all this information into a computer and the computer comes out with two or three matches, however that's going to work. So as we're starting, we've made it clear to the mentor and the mentee, if this doesn't work, if it's not a right match, let us know and we'll do it again. Because we don't want either one of you to leave just saying, okay, well, that didn't work and then never reconnect. So we're looking at now manually and matching likes and dislikes and hobbies and interests and things of that nature and looking to see how do we grow this so that that system works a little easier than what it is we're trying to do now. So right now, like I said, we just finished matches from the party that we held a couple weeks ago and we're waiting to hear back, okay, did that first connect work? So the mentors will check in with us Uh, We've asked them to make at least three connects a month, one of which is face-to-face or Zoom during our current situation. And we'll look to see how that happens. And then we will know that we crossed over when the mentee initiates the contact with the mentor. And so we've actually already had that once right after the first, one of our first matches, because we had told them whether it's email or text or phone, you guys determine what works best for you. And then you hit that up. And then, but we've also told the mentee, if you've got any challenges or anything comes up, so they have my number as well as their mentor's number so that they always have another source of, okay, how do I navigate this? Or how, I don't want to tell the mentor, you know, it's not working, but I know I can tell Dr. E it's not working and without them being judged. So it's a working process. It's very fluid right now. Nothing is in stone because we're working with a very fluid population. And we'll continue to add on and make tweaks. And the paperwork that we do, I always run it through what I called our lived experience, because she'll tell me, like even the application for the house, 
because we started, of course, getting all that paperwork ready. And we know, again, things that we take for granted. When you're filling out an application, they ask for your social security number. They ask for references. They ask for this, that, and the other. And my advisor said to me, because she was in the system from 13 to 18, and she now advocates for youth in the system, one of them said, you know, we may not have a social security number. We don't have a lot of that paperwork. And so I said, okay, I'll take that off the application. But then I had to ask myself, why are you even asking for it? Why do you even need it at this stage of the relationship? And then the same thing with references. She can't said, I can't tell you somebody that I've known for six months that could give me a reference. And again, I said to myself, well, why do I need it? That information I can certainly get as we're doing a one-on-one interview, as we're talking through coming into the house, or even from, how did you even hear about the house? And that may very well be a person I go back to with, okay, what made you refer her to the house? And get a reference that way. So just being very sensitive and very aware of what you take as normal may not be normal for them. Everybody's normal is different. So keep that front and center in your mind as you're going through these different aspects of it. The other thing that we ask the mentors to consider when the relationship gets to that point is to set up a job shadowing. Once it's clear, this is where my interest is, this is what I'd like to do, get them into a situation where they can job shadow somebody who does that. And if it's not someone that's in your field, let us know. We'll reach out to our resources and we'll find someone. We can do that. We'll do the legwork and find an organization or a person that say, well, yeah, I'd love to have them come and shadow. Because what you think is a job or a good job option, once you get in there and see behind the scenes, like, ugh, I didn't know it included that. I don't I don't want to do that. And again, they make a decision and a choice from a point of having that information and that knowledge. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of work, but I'm telling you the joy in that. You can't put that again on a data chart. No, absolutely not. Well, I know we're approaching the end of our time together. I did want to get one question in in particular. Your name is Natalie. Yes, it is. And you started the organization, correct? Yes, I did. Why Eileen and Callie's place? Eileen was my mother's name. My mother, like I said, there were eight of us, four girls, four boys. For the majority of my life, I knew my mom to make our clothes. What I didn't know until later in life was that she also made clothes for girls who were in orphanages because that's what was around at that time. Callie is my mother-in-law and she had, there were five kids, but she took in foster kids. And if you knew me or my husband, you would know that we didn't necessarily look like we were going to be success stories. So this was (laughs) a way of honoring our moms and letting them know that Yeah, no, we paid attention to what you did and the influence that you had, and we want to carry on in your name. So it's Eileen and Callie's Place, supporting young girls aging out of foster care. Oh, what a nice tribute. It is. That's lovely. Yeah. Unfortunately, they're both in heaven, but I think they know that we turn. Oh, they know. Okay, exactly. (laughs) They know. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Well, let me ask just kind of a broader question. Okay. And that is, you know, we've been focusing on your program, which is fantastic. And there are a lot of programs like yours, a lot of mentor programs and programs that do other things that are smaller, that do great things for a handful of young people. And that's awesome. And there are more and more there. That's one thing that I really enjoy seeing is it seems like there is a real growth in that kind of organization that's focusing on this population. How do you think the foster care system itself could do better in helping these young people transition from foster care to adulthood? You know, it seems like such an overwhelming challenge, but if you get down to the core, it really could start with them listening, listening to those who have that lived experience. I was fortunate enough to find out about a group called Passion to Action. And they're here in Washington, and it's a group of kids that have aged out or are about to age out, and they make recommendations to children's administration. Now, what if 
those types of groups of kids that have been in the in part of the system were started even earlier, even younger. And the folks were listening to them. This is what I felt, or this is what it is I needed. And I know, especially here in Washington State, because I've been sitting in on some of those meetings, they're really looking at paying more attention to that adolescent group, to those kids that are turning 18 or that are aging out or even that are in extended care. And so it starts, but it really takes that commitment to, yeah, we're going to do those little things to start to listen, to hear, and to make those changes. One of the attorneys that I had an opportunity to meet with shared with me that the majority of kids that are in foster care are there because of neglect, not so much abuse. If they're in an abusive situation, of course, get them safe. But if it's neglect, have we looked at what's missing in the family structure that's causing the neglect? If you've got a single mom who's doing her best, going to work, yes, the kids are being babysat with the TV because her salary doesn't allow her to have them in daycare. What if we put some emphasis into how do we keep this family together? You know, I heard a comedian say one time, I grew up in the foster care system. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it was they took me out of my dysfunctional family and they put me in a dysfunctional family that I didn't know. Let's fix our dysfunctional families. Let's put our energies there. The bottom line is that's mom and dad. That's what they know. That's where they are. Help us fix that so that the kids stay within a family unit than being placed out and about. You know, the highest I had heard was a person being in 40 different placements. When this young lady said, I've been in 72, no, no, no. And so then if we're only having those kids that are being abused, yes, they need to be in a safe situation, but then make sure that those safe situations are safe situations. They have to be safe. Now, how do you go about determining is this safe? How do you go about determining once they get through with all the checks and all the training and all the things that foster parents do? And I never, ever, ever want to give an impression that all foster homes are bad. There's some great foster homes and foster families and kids that have really benefited from that. But we're looking at the ones that aren't so good. And what do we need to do there? And how do we weed that out? But to me, it starts with that family unit. Let's get our families whole and healed and functioning. Let's get them in situations where they can raise and nurture these children and keep them intact so that then they have a model of this is what a healthy home looks like. You know, that's my two cents from, again, learning and not being in the system, but just ears open and seeing different things that are going on and looking at a child who says, one told me they woke her up in the middle of the night. She and her baby brother in the same room, he's crying. And she said, these two strangers came in and said, you can't live here anymore. How do you explain to a six-year-old, you can't live here anymore? What words do you use? Is extremely traumatic. And then for those that are in there, at what point are they in therapy? In the best of situations, we all need therapy. We all need to be able to sit with a trained professional and says, I don't know why I'm crying. Imagine a young person. One girl says, when I was born, I went into the system and I was there until I aged out. How many homes in between? Where does she get that professional help to sort through that as opposed to carrying it into her 20s, 30s, 40s, and still not sure, I don't know what happened or why. I don't know why I do the things I do or I feel the way that I feel. And there are great professional organizations out there that could do that. How do we connect the kids? And if they are connected, then is it working? Do we have systems set up so that they have access to that and are able to manage through the pain, the hurt, the trauma, the questions. It's like, I just didn't know. And that, you know, in and of itself leads to a certain amount of trauma. Yeah. I think it's a matter of starting locally, Mm -hmm. working with counties to try to make changes like this, 
at the local level mm -hmm. because it's even harder at the state level and who knows what can happen at the federal level. I mean, it's, exactly. it's just so huge, Yes, but I think it's a matter of taking, you know, like you're saying this group that you mentioned passion to action and really focusing on where change can be made is more likely to be made. What is it within your realm of influence? And that tends to be more local. Exactly. Yeah, the bigger it gets, the more wheels and cogs that are turning and the harder it gets to move the boat. Right, exactly. I tell you what, I do want to ask one question I ask every organization. You're raising money to get a house. I imagine there might be some people listening who would be interested in donating toward that cause. If folks were interested in donating to your organization in some form or fashion, where do they go to do that? They can go to our website. EileenAndCallie'sPlace.org. They can see, again, what it is we're doing, how is it we're doing it, the resources we have there. And then, of course, there's a donate page where they can donate. They can always contact me at EileenAndCallie at gmail.com. And I'd be more than glad to answer questions and to really just have that conversation. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Natalie, for being part of this podcast series, for sharing about yourself, about your organization. I'm really excited to see the progress that you make with the house and with the work that you're doing with the young ladies. And I just, I'm very excited about what you do with them. And I wish you all the best. Well, Lynn, thank you so much for taking this time and for all of your podcasts, Aging Out Institute, I think is a great way of just informing people and making them aware of this is what that looks like. So thank you. Well, thank you. You're very welcome. And that's one of our goals, of course, is to raise awareness. I believe that awareness is growing, but it's something we have to stay after. We do. For sure. We have to stay on it. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Natalie. And for those who have listened to the podcast to the very end, thank you very much. We put these podcasts out every couple of weeks or so. So keep checking back on our website or go to pretty much any podcast distribution site. and You'll find us there as well. Have a great day until next time. <laughs>